this is a very unique environment. Um, and um, unfortunately, we've forgotten the basic necessities to run a global economy and function a global economy. Uh, and now we're facing those, those challenges. And so uh, I think it's going to take uh, a long time uh, for those, uh, those trends to, uh, uh, to, to develop themselves. And so, yeah, it's going to be a, uh, that is why I believe uh, it's time to be allocating capital into even more illiquid assets that may take five years or so to, uh, to perform. We're going to see a lot of M&A activity more than any other uh, decade that we've seen in, in the past because of the accumulation of cash generated by the higher prices in commodities in general. Um, and so and the need for replenishing those reserves of those businesses will force them to actually do more M&A activity as well. So yeah, it's going to be a lot of changes, but it's going to take, you know, I think it's going to take a decade or so. If, if you ask me today, I think it's going to take about a decade. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Markets are in turmoil right now. So far in 2022, U.S. government bonds are down over 10 percent. The S&P is down over 17 percent. The tech-heavy Nasdaq is down over 27%, and Bitcoin is down over 37%. Today's guest, analyst Tavi Costa of Crescent Capital, thinks there's room to fall even further for these assets as everything gets repriced in what he's referring to as the great unwind. But there's one sector he thinks remains poised to do well, very well from here, and that's commodities. I'm looking forward to diving deep into his reasons why. Tavi, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, Adam. Looking forward to this. I am too. We got a lot to talk about given what's going on right now in the markets, Tavi. Um, and I want to get into all the details with you. But if we can, let's just start at our usual high level with this question. What is your current assessment of today's global economy and financial markets? Well, I think there's um, a significant amount of, of, uh, of themes, of macro themes developing all at once right now. And it's, uh, it's, it's hard to get your arms around when it comes to uh, correlations of markets have, have changed significantly, uh, especially relative to what we've seen in the last two decades or so. I'm referring to assets as supposed to be performing as, as safe havens that are not uh, behaving that way recently. Um, treasuries being one of them, and and this is a this is a market that has uh, constraints on the supply side that is creating a long term uh, thesis for for commodities and tangible assets. But at the same time, we've we've had this unfold, or I call it kind of the great unwind of 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 growth in extremely overvalued assets uh, because of the cost of capital now rising, becoming more of a narrative. I think last time we talked about this, this was kind of a thesis. Now it's is certainly and now a more developed, uh, uh, a more developed uh, idea, and uh, I, you know, I, I feel strongly that this is still in in process. We're still seeing a lot of the the valuation of of, of hyped and and extremely crowded uh, uh, companies in in the tech space and mega cap companies uh, that are still to uh, uh, to continue to be re-rated at much lower uh, prices uh, relative to other things that are. Um, actually profitable and, and making money and generating free cash flow that are uh, fundamental analysis uh, becoming a thing again. Um, the, the selection of, of investments rather than passive investments uh, uh, when it comes to, uh, to expressing your view in a portfolio. So a lot of things to unpack, but those are, those are the things in my mind. And I, you know, I, I'm very worried. I, we had a, a pullback in and, and not a pullback. I mean, 27% or so decline, almost 30% decline in, in NASDAQ. That's almost as much as what we saw back in March 2020. And to put into perspective, at that time, the Federal Reserve and policymakers were all talking about how to save the economy. And today, uh, we're only talking about how are we going to uh, raise more interest rates and reduce purchases of bonds and, in, in other words, reduce liquidity of equity markets and so and the economy in general. So, uh, it's a very, very different environment that we saw back in during the COVID crash and a bit concerning about that too. All right, um, great context. Uh, let's, let's continue pulling here at the, uh, the line here about the market weakness that we're seeing here, right? So the markets are now having one of their worst starts to the year ever. 
in terms of both stocks and bonds uh, being down this much, this far, this earlier in, in the year. Um, and, and you mentioned there that, uh, you know, even sort of safe haven assets like U.S. Treasuries are not performing as people expected them to right now. Um, so uh, we have the markets unhappy. We've got the economy slowing, right? So we had the negative GDP print for Q4. Uh, I just saw a, 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 what came through on Twitter. I can't remember exactly which uh, Fed official it was, but another Fed official just seemed to sort of float the trial balloon of like, and you know, we might have another negative print for Q2, which would then be officially a definition of a recession. Um, so uh, uh, we've got the Fed then, uh, you know, actively trying to tampen dampen demand uh, by uh, hiking interest rates into this environment as well. And, and yields are rising too, as you mentioned, the cost of capital is going up here. All of those things are, um, you know, they're, they're, they're drags on both the economy and on asset prices. So what do you see ahead for general markets, you know, for investors that are trying to sort of get a sense for the landscape is going here? Is the correction that we've seen so far from the beginning of this year, do you feel like it's petering out and nearing its end? Or is this something that maybe is just getting started? I mean, you mentioned earlier that you were worried. Are you worried about something that could, could cascade down further from here? Um, I am. I, I, think, I think this is a, the beginning of a bear market. Uh, but bear markets, you also have bear market rallies. And um, the difficult part of this is that two of the things that I uh, have you know, really high conviction, which was uh, yields moving higher and equity markets moving lower are now have had a big move uh, recently. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we have some sort of relief rally in treasuries and equity markets from here. Uh, but the, the bigger trend, I think, is lower for both. Um, and uh, this is going to you know, we, we saw the, the crowded 60-40 portfolios and the risk, uh, risk parity uh, strategies that uh, also became um, something that has been very, very popular. Uh, those are going to have to uh, apply new ideas and, and, and perhaps uh, uh, consider tangible assets as a, an inflationary hedge. Um, the dollar has been something also a place we've been hiding uh, very well that I think will have other ramifications when it comes to uh, just think about the amount of companies that uh, make money in, uh, in 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 foreign currencies, and and you know when you have the dollar strengthening the way it is, certainly that will have an impact on earnings and, and revenues uh, becoming uh, going lower, not higher, uh, in dollar terms. Uh, if you look at the central bank assets today, uh, they're actually in dollar terms; they're starting to contract, um, and that's a big deal when it comes to liquidity. And that's because of the dollar strength. It's not because they're selling yet, but they're the dollar strength is, is becoming a problem. And also uh, the valuation of the bonds that they hold. Um, you remember very well, I know I'm, I'm saying a lot of different things, but there's so many things in my mind right now. The, uh, the Swiss uh, National Bank, uh, when they were purchasing technology companies as part of their balance sheet, and guess what's happening with technology companies? They're all unwinding now to, uh, to uh, much lower levels. And so uh, that seemed to be a smart uh, idea at the time, but now uh, it's becoming very challenging. We saw crypto assets uh, beginning to uh, to really crumble. So I'm I'm worried. I think we're going to be in a recession uh, soon. Uh, the question is, in real terms or nominal terms? Certainly, in real terms, that's coming. Uh, in in my view, um, I I think in nominal terms, uh, we still have uh, uh, earnings growing at about ten percent ish uh, in the last uh, reports. I think that's going to drop very close to. Uh, probably it's still a growth of about 5% uh, or so, but uh, we're, we're getting very close. I mean, if you're a company, you're not growing at a 10, 15% um, in, in your earnings, you're just not keeping up with inflation. And so um, I think we're seeing a lot of that now in equity markets. And so I'm, I'm, um, I'm worried. I, I, think, I think we're seeing the, the peak of the business cycle. Um, and, uh, and unfortunately a lot, a lot of investors are still seeing this as a buy the dip type of market. And I'm, I'm not sure that that's the case. I think that's certainly a buy the dip type of market for things like commodities, uh, that have, uh, more, uh, I guess, clear patterns when it comes to, uh, identifying what we are when it comes to cycles of, of, of those, of those assets. Um, and, um, and so, 
and I believe that what's happening in China is also a huge deal. I mean, this is um, uh, a problem what's happening when it comes to all the issues unwinding in China. You saw Chinese banks uh, falling apart first and then the property developers. And now you're seeing housing market, personal mortgages are dropping like we've never seen before. Uh, we're looking at Chinese equities when it comes to technology companies. Uh, some of those are down already 60, 70 percent. Um, and the Chinese economy is, is in, you know, uh, parts of it still locked down. And um, some of that are easing right now. But it's, you know, what's going to be the, 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 the implications of that in a global economy when China was the, the, the engine of the global economy for many, many years? So those are the issues that I'm concerned. And, and, uh, and clearly, that's an economy that it is dependent on commodities as well. And commodities rising, inflation rising, cost of capital rising. A levered economy will suffer. So China is a great example of that. So uh, uh, sorry to unpack with so many ideas, but that's uh, there's a lot in my mind, and I'm, I'm a little concerned about what's uh, what's ahead of us in the next uh, you know one or two years when it comes to equity markets in the U.S. All right, um, don't apologize at all. Uh, I think you're underscoring you know a drum I've been beating, which is um, there are a lot of of risks circulating now that that encourage us to be conservative and prudent. Um, I've sort of referred to it as a parade of horribles, you know, and you did a good job of ticking off a number of those those horrible threats. Um, I, all right, so I, I do want to get to the point you made about how you do think it's sort of a buy the tip dip moment for commodities. Uh, and perhaps maybe a few other select assets, but let's hold that off just for a second here. Um, it sounds like you think it is not a buy the dip moment for general equities. Um, you talked earlier about how growth stocks um, are in particular are, are getting hit right now, um, which you would expect from a lot of the factors that you just mentioned. Um, I wanna put up a chart here uh, that you guys have put together uh, because Tabi, when we talked earlier, um, you you did say that you, you, you foresaw a rotation of capital going from growth into value. And we're beginning to see the growth uh, to value ratio um, come down here now. So that, that prediction you made, we're, we're actually beginning to see that happening in real time here. Um, and one could look at that and say, okay, well, great. So then maybe this is a buy the dip moment for value uh, because you know all stocks are kind of getting hit right now. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, though. Listening to you, it sort of sounds like, no, they can both go down together further. Uh, just growth may go down at a faster rate than value. So it sounds like, you know, you're, you're, you, would off, you would recommend kind of caution and wait and seeing right now when it comes to sort of general equities. Is that correct? Um, look, I, I, I'm doing more of a relative trade as far as investments. I'm certainly, I've been adding to value-related investments and, and uh, shorting uh, what I think it's considered overvalued. I think there are buckets of the equity markets you should be worried about. I think there are buckets of valuation. We've seen a lot of that, um, I would say, manifest itself in the last uh, 12 months or so, even 15 months uh, with ARC beginning to fall. And you've got software stocks. So those are the kind of valuation imbalances beginning to unwind. And then now uh, I think the next step of this is, will be on profitability. Uh, meaning profitability coming back and margins getting squeezed. So you got earnings at peak right now, material costs rising, cost of capital rising, um, and uh, and even labor costs not rising too. And those should squeeze margins of companies uh, over the medium term. And so that's the other part of it, looking for businesses that will get squeezed by that. To answer your question, I as we make money on the shorts, uh, we certainly deploy that capital into value uh, businesses that we think will do very well, or value stocks, I should say. Uh, and that majority of that capital is related to uh, commodities. I think that the commodities market, uh, as I've been saying, uh, is, uh, is a market that is still here to stay when it comes to uh, the cycle. Uh, I think uh, one of the most, uh, uh, one of the best ways to analyze that is looking at the capital spending trends. Uh, that is really what the whole cycle of commodities is predicated on. And um, clearly, when you look at capital spending or CapEx for commodities uh, in, in general, uh, adjusted for GDP, we're at, a, at least at a 20-year low today. So uh, I think there's a lot more to go once we see those companies producing more uh, of those tangible assets, increasing supply, 
uh, and really see reserves increasing drastically from here, which will take years to uh, uh, to uh, to develop as well. I think I think that that will be uh, the time I will change my mind. We're so far away from that that I think it's uh, uh, you know if if I if I have a, a portfolio is is really. I'm extremely long inflationary assets, uh, long tangible assets and, and commodity producers. And then I have to think about how do I hedge that position uh, with shorts in equity markets and long the dollar uh, in different parts of, of the world that I think will be have the recipe for major devaluation of currencies. And we have to think about that those large developments happening right now will create a, a lot of volatility in FX markets. Uh, something we haven't seen in the last two decades or so. In the 90s, we, we used to see DPAG of currencies and, um, you know, China had to reset the monetary system um, nine times in the last century. And we haven't seen any of that uh, in, in many, many uh, decades. Uh, and I'm, I'm referring to uh, not Venezuela, not Argentina, not Brazil, not Turkey. I'm talking about even larger economies and more developed economies, in, including China in that, in that stage that, are, uh, that need to have some sort of uh, reckoning when it comes to their resetting of their monetary system, uh, given the fact that the, the imbalances are not, um, are not in line with, uh, with the value of those currencies. And at some point, uh, given what's happening with the disruption of commodity markets and other parts of uh, yields and, and other things, I think that that will start to challenge uh, some other parts of, uh, of the FX market. So um, yeah, I'm uh, uh, we'll continue to be short. Uh, the whole older way we do it is, is reduce our shorts. I mean, they, they, they reduce themselves as they work. Uh, and then we put the money to work into, uh, into tangible asset related uh, investments. And so um, I think that has been very successful so far this year, and uh, we'll continue to do that uh, over time and continue to look for opportunities on the short side, too. Okay. Um, God, so many things to follow up on here. Um, but one <laughs> point you made, I, I just want to <laughs> I, I just want to kind of underscore um, and would love you to chime in briefly on it is, um, yes, we had the dot-com bust and we had the uh, 2008 global financial crisis, um, but kind of the... Um, the type of, of uh, turbulence and uh, uh, you know um, systemic uh, scramble to kind of you know reform things that aren't working. You talked about you know China basically uh, uh, changing its monetary system you know several times in the past century. Um, <clears throat> we we've had this relative tranquility for the past twenty years, um, and, and I would say kind of a false tranquility. Um, because of all the intervention that's been going on by the world's central banks and whatnot. And it was punctuated by the dot-com bubble bursting and then the 2008 crisis. But we've seen a lot less of what you were referring to in the past 20 years than we had sort of seen on average before. And my point here is, is we kind of have this, this generation of investors that probably has difficult imagining the instability that we used to see in the past uh, globally um, and, and may very soon get sort of educated about, you know, what, what, what reality really is more commonly like, uh, but they have a hard time imagining it right now just because they haven't seen it uh, in their investing career. I see you nodding a little bit as I'm saying this, but do you agree? I, I agree because, because it's, um, um, I think it's all linked. And certainly we saw this issue with, look, the, just, let's just step back a little bit. I mean, the, the, the issue with commodities um, when you look at the capital spending trends, um, that was, you know, that was the case way before the pandemic. We just didn't know what would be the trigger to make things change. And why am I referring to this? Because it's all linked. Uh, when we had the pandemic crisis, the shock on the supply constraints caused commodities to rise. When commodities began to rise, uh, you, had, you, you had this inflationary headwind, uh, or I should say a tailwind uh, on inflation. Uh, and inflation is a problem we haven't really faced in, in many decades. It's been a cyclical problem. When inflation began to, uh, uh, to really become an issue, uh, you start seeing uh, you know, social unrest is one of the issues that you begin to see. And the second problem has to do with uh, that could be linked to this is, is geopolitical issues too. And so certainly we were in a much more globalized environment. Now we're entering a more deglobalized environment that will set off a lot of other themes and ideas, you know, companies that will be 
forced to bring back their manufacturing to the U.S. We're going to see known residential construction happening in developed economies as a result of that. That should be the other driver of tangible assets that we see construction uh, happening. Uh, but going back to your question, uh, investors have not uh, really uh, are not used to this uh, market regime that we're seeing. And, and that's absolutely normal. Maybe some emerging market uh uh, uh, investors are, are more uh, used to this, uh, and I would include myself into that. But but it's uh, it's it's interesting because if you analyze Brazil, for instance, as a, as a place, just to uh, just for a second, um, Brazil is a place where uh, fundamental analysis has always been a thing for the last uh, three decades or so. Uh, that you can analyze uh, companies that have performed well in Brazil are companies that actually have a lot of, a lot of value principles. Uh, embedded to those those investments as a, as a way to support that uh, as a, as an asset that should perform very well, and and so profitability always matter because cost of capital is has always been uh, higher than other places, and so you always have to think about how to make money. Developed economies have not suffered through that, so uh, cost of capital has always been suppressed over the last two to three decades, and so they're able to allow uh, able to uh, to uh, to focus more on growth and other aspects of their businesses, and so. Um, now that's shifting because we're seeing developed economies suffer from cost of capital rise, um, and, and, and that's going to be a, a change. And so fundamental analysis comes back uh, is the selection of securities is, is, is a very important aspect of it. I mean, just think about, uh, Adam, the, the whole uh, the amount of folks actually go into uh, quarterly calls uh, and earnings calls. Uh, and, and engaging with those. I mean, it's, it's, we're probably at a record low of, of amount of people going to those because no one is doing fundamental analysis. We as a fund, I always comment that with Kevin, I mean, it's, it's ex extremely difficult to find uh, folks that have a background of fundamental analysis nowadays. I mean, everyone is a technical analyst. Everyone uh, wants to talk about, uh, you know, crypto assets and technology and software and that every new company is going to be the next Google or Amazon but the market doesn't work that way when you don't have excessive liquidity anymore. And I think we're entering a world like that, just like what we saw in the 70s. And then people get confused. Oh, well, how is this the 70s? We didn't have as much debt. Well, that's not from that perspective. It's from the perspective of market leadership, um, where uh, growth is, is not a priority anymore, but profitability becomes a priority. And so and quant funds uh, cannot find granularity when it comes to data to go back to the 60s and 70s to navigate the space today. So this is a new environment for a lot of investment approaches. Um, and that's why I think fundamental analysis will come back to become this, uh, this, uh, you know, this resurgence of, 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 of fundamental analysis in general will be very important for, for investors and it will reshape the way the market uh, will look like in the following years too. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting in a way, but at the same time, it will be painful in other parts of the market too. Yeah. And, and to my point, I think yours, it's going to catch a lot of today's investors by surprise, because to your point, they're, 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 they're used to playing a different game, right? The rules are changing and they're used to playing by the old rules. Um, all right. Um, so let's now move on to commodities. Um, it seems that's where you you know, continuing to uh, place the vast majority of your focus. As, as we leave just sort of the general market, I want to recap here real quickly. Um, sounds like you are looking for a continued uh, weakness ahead. Um, growth will probably be more weak than uh, other stocks, but in general, it looks, you're expecting the general, you know, equity markets to, to, to continue to remain weak, we'll say. Um, and we're going to go into commodities in a minute, which it sounds like that's where you see the biggest opportunity. Right as we leave, though, are there other current sectors in value that you are actively deploying uh, capital in right now? Or are you pretty much just focused on commodities? No, I think there's two parts of the, the equity markets that look appealing to me. Uh, one of them is our defense stocks. Uh, and the second one has to do with companies that are related to uh, construction uh, and engineering of, of uh, in order to bring back manufacturing to, to the U.S. So I'll, I'll give some data in, in both of those if, you, uh, if you're okay with that. So yeah, please. Um, defense spending used to be close to 
uh, 9% back in the 60s uh, of GDP, 9% of GDP. Today, we're about 35 or 3.3%. Um, you know, I think that back in the forties, it was, it was even higher than that. It was, you know, 40, 50% of GDP is some, sometimes, um, and that military spending is, is, is in my view, going to come back and the geopolitical tensions rising. Uh, and this is just looking at the U S solely. So the, the defense industry makes, uh, in, in revenues today and aggregates somewhere close to $250 billion. Um, if we think about uh, just going from 3.3% of GDP to somewhere close to, let's just double from the, from here, about six, uh, six to 7%, uh, we're talking um, about unleashing somewhere close to $1.5 trillion of, of, uh, of capital coming into this industry. Uh, not everything will go through those defense stocks, but the majority of that could go to that. And, and if we're talking about you know, four to five times uh, how, much they, uh, how much money they make on an annual basis. And those are annual spending of, of, of defense spending, by the way. So, so that's on an annual basis. Um, and, and then you extrapolate that by thinking about the NATO countries that will also be uh, spending more on, on defense uh, which I think it's plausible too, and we'll, I think we're going to see that. And and those those economies don't have those industries uh, as well established as the U.S. And so a lot of that uh, weapons and 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 materials in general uh, that are uh, and services that are uh, generated through those uh, this industry in the U.S. Uh, I think will benefit tremendously in the future. Um, another thing that will be interesting will be manufacturing. Manufacturing today accounts for about ten percent of GDP. Back in the 70s and 60s was about 30% of GDP. And so I think we are in an upper trend of, of bringing back manufacturing to the US and other developed economies will, will feel the same, uh, uh, the same pressure from companies. You know, it's very difficult to think of a company today establishing their business in the US uh, to create a relationship with China as a manufacturer plant of their product. Um, for the next five to 10 years. And so um, I, I believe that we're going to see that shift in a, in a large way. Companies like Apple may suffer from that, those shifts. Uh, companies uh, like Apple have certainly uh, benefited from globalization, low cost of capital, uh, and especially uh, this, uh, this relationship with China, which was uh, okay for the last uh, decades. And now we're seeing that shift uh, that maybe started with Trump and now it's accelerating uh, to the downside here. And so um, a lot of things, again, to unpack on this, but it's, uh, I think that we'll set, again, uh, a, another, a second wave of, of, of demand for, for commodities as we see this infrastructure uh, being uh, rebuilt here in the U.S. in order to, uh, uh, to, uh, to provide and feed uh, the needs for those businesses to uh, uh, to produce their their goods and services here uh, in the U.S. and so in other developed economies and so uh, they're they're I think they're going to be unleashing even more uh, macro related ideas and one of them I think will be construction companies, uh, cement businesses, and um, you know engineering companies and uh, along with the defense spending and so that's all linked to as well fiscal spending fiscal spending relative to GDP will be higher. Uh, as part of this, as the government should also play a role into that. Okay, great, thanks. So defense, uh, infrastructure, uh, construction, and manufacturing, and expect your iPhone to get more expensive. I believe so, yeah. Um, all right, so um, all right. So now let's get to the main event here, which is hard assets, commodities. Um, it's where you're placing the majority of your focus, it's where you're deploying capital right now. I heard you say earlier, uh, it's one of the places given today's asset prices that you are still buying actively. Um, let me just set the stage a little bit here, which is um, we've talked about the slowing economy. Um, there's a chance that we could be going into recession. It sounds like you believe we're going to, I believe as well. Um, and, uh, you know, in theory, that leads to, you know, lower economic demand, lower economic activity. And one would one could make the argument lower demand for commodities. And we have seen um, the prices of commodity producers largely come down over the past month or so with sort of the general market correction here. Um, and so the big question, I think most viewers of this channel are tuning in to, to see you opine on here is, is Tavi is now a good buying opportunity, right? Have good values just become even better values over the past month or two? And is this a good time to buy in or should we wait and see a little bit? Sounds like you think that there's there's plenty of good value on the table right now. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, if you know, you can 
you can look uh, independently into each part of the of the commodities market. But I think uh, you know energy companies, for instance. So when you look at free cash flow yield today, is one of the cheapest we've seen in history, even despite the increase in prices that we've seen from uh, from those stocks in the last uh, year or so. Um, you know, you look at agricultural commodities; it, it's one of the most bullish. Uh, technical charts I've seen, uh, and I think that trend is is still going to go significantly higher. It, you look at capex trends for those businesses are also very uh, pronounced when it comes to um, you know we, we should be uh, setting up to uh, those those companies and assets doing very well. Uh, base metals, uh, you think about uh, you know close your eyes for a second and think about if if you if you're locking down uh, one of the largest economies in the world. Uh, you know, what would you think it would happen with a cyclical commodity like copper? Uh, you know, now open your eyes and what you see is that copper did not collapse as much as you think it would, it would collapse. And that's because of the, the, the supply constraints um, certainly, um, you know, allow the, the, the metal to, uh, to perform better than most people would believe. And so uh, there are no shortage of issues from the demand and cyclical downward uh, pressure that we may see here. But um, you know, it's incredible that the supply side is is so tight uh, that you you I think you will still see uh, those uh, those those commodities to to perform well. Um, I you know we have a basket uh, of, of yeah. those. Hey, and Tavi, I'm sorry, can I interrupt? Yeah. just to make one point, and then, then yep. I want you to continue. Which is um, when you've been on this program previously, we. And so funny, we haven't really even mentioned the Ukraine war yet. And that's a whole other factor that's that's impacting things here. Um, but when we were when you were on earlier, um, you were saying, look, irrespective of what COVID did to supply chains, and now irrespective to what, what the Ukraine war may be doing to them and the embargoes of Russia's supply and stuff like that. Um, earlier, you used the term, I think, the, the, the capital allocations in this space or whatever. And uh, I think what you're referring to, which is what we've talked about in the past, is if you look at the past decade of capital going into most commodity sectors, um, it's been much less than had historically been entering the space and setting, our, setting ourselves up for these sort of structural deficits of these key commodities. And so I, I just want to, I want you to just clarify or opine for folks real quickly on this, which is where we are today, um, we are experiencing shortages or at least um, tight supplies in a lot of commodities because of investment allocation decisions made five, 10 years ago to not invest in the capex of this space. Then that gets exacerbated by the COVID and the uh, the, the Russia war in Ukraine uh, issues. Um, yeah. So, it, 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 am I summarizing this accurately? Which is, I just want to set the stage for folks that that um, you're you're not just excited about what's happening today in commodities. You're excited because of what happened five, ten years ago. Correct. That's right. That's right. I think. I think. I think we've seen a bear market for commodities since 2011 or so for majority of commodities. And, and so, you know, the trend is, is that management, corporate management has been extremely conservative and especially when it comes to exploration budgets, when it comes to uh, M&A activity, uh, when it comes to putting capital into something that doesn't generate free cash flow. Um, I was just looking at the trends of production of commodities during bear markets actually tends to increase. Um, because you know producers are just not very smart in general. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's it's um, they they tend to uh, uh, to act uh, in 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 kind of a desperate mode a lot of times. And so um, it's very important to watch those fundamental trends of the industry. And then you have the ESG policies that kind of developed slowly um, and becoming more and more of a of a constraint when it comes to allowing companies to uh, to invest. Uh, uh, capital in, in different parts of their businesses, um, and so yeah, I, I think I think a lot of people end up focusing too much on the triggers when actually you should focus on uh, on the overall environment before uh, those triggers happen. And and certainly we have uh, you know the same happening. For instance, on some let's just say one thing that that hasn't yet happened that we haven't seen the trigger: gold and silver. 
gold and silver when it comes to uh, the the uh, just the same ana analytical work uh, inside of the industry looks the same way that oil companies and agricultural companies looked two to three years ago. Uh, but we had a trigger uh, that ended up uh, causing those commodities to start moving. We haven't seen that yet in silver and gold, even though they have gone, you know, I would say relatively sideways for the last uh, years, not the last uh, 15, 16 days, but for the last uh, few years, it have been kind of a sideways market. So, um, you, and, and no one is focusing on, on, on the underlying um, underlying thesis behind it, but mostly focused on what is the, the trigger that, that makes that happen. And I think, I think it's important to accumulate assets prior to that trigger when you know uh, or identify throughout history that uh, those, uh, those, those factors tend to certainly uh, create uh, real big bull markets uh, and sustainable bull markets that tend to last over uh, many, many years, as as uh, as the sustainable word <laughs> would uh, would imply. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think I think we've seen a lot of focus on the pandemic, a lot of focus on the geopolitical issues. They certainly accelerate those trends, uh, but the problem is much deeper than that. And as you know very well, uh, the, the, even professionals finding professionals in in the labor uh, constraints of finding. Uh, uh, you know, uh, competent uh, folks to run uh, exploration and, and development uh, and production companies in, in, in natural resource industries is, is already uh, a scarcity on its own. And so, uh, you know, how do you fix that? You know, those things take time to, to, uh, uh, to shift. Usually you see capital coming in first and the capital uh, tends to allow those businesses to pay better salaries. And then you start seeing the labor uh, trends begin to change as well. And, you know, you look at geosciences enrollments uh, uh, for undergrads and, and graduate uh, programs out there, uh, they are in a secular decline as well. So there's not a lot of interest in, in geosciences today. Uh, so all that is, 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 is playing a, an important uh, role into the, the problems that we have right now that will take, in my view, years, if not a decade or so, uh, to, uh, to unfold as far as, as the price of those assets continue to go higher due to those supply constraints. All right, great. So just to summarize, the, the commodity sector is going to have a tailwind behind it for a, at least another decade, it sounds like what you're saying, because of the structural, both capital underinvestment and human talent underinvestment in this space. Look, I, I think that that's going to be the case, but I, I can change my view about the timing because all the factors that I'm mentioning will change over time. And if I see three, five years from now, CapEx is not a peak, of course, I'm going to change my opinion. But uh, knowing this industry and knowing the current political constraints we have, I think, I think this is going to take a lot longer than most people believe. And I've said this before, but just think about what's happening with energy today, energy uh, oil oil prices, uh, just call it at a, a, about like $100 a barrel or so. Every time in history we've seen oil at those prices, uh, the industry of energy in general was booming. The sector was booming. Uh, people were trying to get into this, this, uh, those businesses, was trying to work for those companies. We're seeing the opposite trend right now. A lot of geologists are trying to leave um, uh, energy-related companies because they don't think those companies will be in business uh, in the next uh, five five years or so, and so uh, this is a very unique environment. Um, and um, unfortunately, we've forgotten the basic necessities to run a global economy and function a global economy. Uh, and now we're facing those those challenges. And so uh, I think it's going to take uh, a long time uh, for those uh, those trends to uh, uh, to to develop themselves. And so yeah, it's going to be a uh, that is why I believe uh, it's time to be allocating capital into even more illiquid assets that may take five years or so to uh, to perform. We're going to see a lot of M&A activity more than any other uh, decade that we've seen in, in the past because of the accumulation of cash generated by the higher prices in commodities in general. Um, and so and the need for replenishing those reserves of those businesses will force them to actually do more M&A activity as well. So yeah, it's going to be a lot of changes, but it's going to take, you know, I think it's going to take a decade or so. If, if you ask me today, I think it's going to take about a decade. Okay. And, and Tavi, we'll be having you back on regularly to allow you to make audible, you know, iterations to that call as you see that. data as it develops. <laughs> um, all right. So I, I want to get to the, um, 
you know, specific sort of uh, investments that you are making right now in the fund, whatever you can share. Um, and then, then I then I want to pivot and, and talk specifically in some depth about gold and silver. Um, so, uh, real quick, before I ask the question about what are you putting your money into right now, um, uh, one question that's come up a lot is, and you referred to this a little bit. So, you know, inflation's raging, right? So we're seeing input costs go up, energy, labor costs, etc. How material is that to commodity producers? Um, are they, you know, is it a huge part of their cost structure? Is this really going to hit mining? Uh, sorry, producer productivity, um, or or is it less of a concern? No, it is material, and and uh, you know, we are not putting allocating or deploying capital into producers, but I, I follow very closely. They're making um, more capital or generating more free cash flow than ever done in the history of their businesses, but. Uh, certainly they have been impacted uh, recently. Gold and silver miners, for instance, I was just looking at a trend of, of cash flow uh, relative to gold prices. And we do see a little gap, meaning they're not making as much money as, as where gold prices are today. Uh, it's not a major gap, but it's a gap. Um, and certainly that's the case in, in other industries too. Uh, energy is a little less, but base metals and metals in general, precious metals and, and base metals, uh, companies are cer certainly suffering more from that. Um, I think that those those issues with uh, with labor cost uh, is something that the overall market will have to face. Uh, and so you have to think about in relative terms. Um, number one, and uh, I think I think commodity businesses will have a, a better a better setup uh, relative to let's say a software company. Uh, when it comes to, and we can get into that. There's another theme of software and other technology companies about the way that they, they um, that they pay their uh, their employees, and and I think that will shift as well. But but I want to focus on commodities for now. But yes, I, I think I think that uh, uh, those uh, those 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 are important parts uh, that may actually damage some of the producers, and, and this is why I think most of the exploration assets that have metals in the ground. Uh, and have the leverage to uh, to the fiscal price of those commodities uh, will, will should perform even better uh, than the other parts, um, particularly right now. And so, um, you know, I sorry, have been sorry wrong because because energy and labor is a small sort of a smaller fraction of their overall cost structure. That's absolutely right. Uh, it is a smaller fraction, especially energy costs is a smaller fraction of exploration companies uh, when it comes to uh, you know compare that with the open pit production in gold and silver, you know, relative to, uh, to exploring a, a ground in, you know, in, in Nevada, you know, will cost you much less. And so Nevada, you know, thinking about even places that are expensive to explore. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think, I think what we have today is, is a setting where uh, the companies at some point, those, those businesses that are looking for uh, generating free cash flow, depleting their reserves will at some point need to uh, replenish those. And so I think we're going to enter an exploration age. That's another theme um, and uh, something we haven't seen in, in many uh, decades. The majority of exploration investments we've seen in the past were mostly focused uh, in, in already uh, you know, existing assets uh, that we had. And so they're not new uh, greenfield uh, projects. And now we're seeing, um, at least we've been financing and funding a lot of those uh, new projects in different parts of the world. I think we're going to see a stream of, of of new assets coming along in the following years, and that's our hope as a as an investor of many of those companies to uh, uh, to develop new new uh, new reserves of of different minerals uh, in in different parts of the of the world. And so, I believe strongly that the production uh, companies will perform well too. But I think that those are uh, will face some challenges when it comes to labor costs and, and other problems, uh, even more than the other parts of the industry. So, uh, yeah, those, those, and, and perhaps, uh, Adam, something just to, to, uh, that is related to all this for folks that are worried about, uh, you know, the, the supply constraints, think about this for a second, you know, we're about to pass about, you know, a $40 billion bill to, uh, uh to help Ukraine, $40 billion, uh, that is exactly how much uh, the the EMP companies in the oil space has spent in the last year uh, in capex. Just to put into perspective, now, forty billion dollars. Uh, oh. I think at some point we will see 
the government getting involved into this. You know, there are deposits in different parts of the U.S. even uh, that are not economically viable, but could become economically viable if the government um, pours capital into into those projects and help them to uh, to become viable. And so we may see that. Um, I I think that that's uh, that type of effort uh, will actually come um, will become a. Uh, uh, relevant in in the future, just because of the the needs for for those uh, those uh, those projects to be developed as soon as possible, um, and so you know that. But that really puts into perspective. I mean, forty billion dollars. I mean, back in two thousand and eight, they used to spend over one hundred and fifty billion dollars or so. So we're about three times more than what we have today. So um, we're spending today. So uh, with a much larger economy uh, globally, and so you know. Uh, this is as constrained as it gets uh, from any any uh, standpoint that you look at in the industry. But um, okay. I guess that's yeah. a good data. That, that, that's a great data point that shows that the the likelihood of the pendulum to just have to to, to swing back. Um, all right, so let's get to that question about what are you actively adding to your portfolio right now. Well, we we've been adding to existing positions that we have. Uh, this is one part of it. We've been. Uh, uh, fortunate to uh, be making money, especially in our global macro fund on shorts. Um, uh, we've made a significant amount of capital in in um, in our CNH shorts. So their Chinese yuan shorts have worked very well, and uh, so that allowed us to have cash, um, a lot of cash. And then so we've been using that to uh, uh, to buy some of the current investments we have in different parts of the world, uh, Golden Triangle and uh, Nevada. Uh, we've been adding to our businesses in Newfoundland, uh, even um, some parts of uh, of Europe as well. Uh, but but those are, I would say, the big bulk of the investments we made recently. We've been looking for new investments too. We've we've added a new investment in Australia. Uh, Maronin uh, Metals is a is an interesting uh, uh, a company. It's a silver, um, more of a silver um, related asset, which is a, a huge focus uh, for us right now. Uh, we've been adding to to precious metals as much as we can in this pullback um, too. And uh, what we find uh, here, Adam, is is that things, uh, you know, some of our themes, it kind of, you know, we see some of our themes working and some others not working. So we, we kind of have to rotate into themes that have not worked recently. So certainly precious metals has been something that's been lagging. Uh, so we've been uh, getting out of some of our shorts and, and putting back that capital into uh, things that have not worked that we still continue to believe strongly. Um, we've got over, you know, I would say about uh, 40 core investments in our in our precious metals, but overall we've got over 80 to 90 companies in the portfolio, but 40 or so are more core assets that we wanted to have over 20% of those, those businesses. Um, and uh, we continue to accumulate as much as we can because we believe strongly that the next uh, five to 10 years, gold and silver prices and other uh, commodities will be significantly higher from here. But precious metals has been a big focus recently. Uh, we've added a lot to agricultural commodities too. Um, so certainly did that uh, today and uh, yesterday as well. Um, and and you're buying... Are you buying um, it, so both in agricultural and energy? Uh, and I'm, I'm zeroing in on the non-precious metals ones because we're going to dig into those in just a second. Sure. Um, are you buying exposure to the base commodities themselves? Or are you buying more sort of you know producers, explorers, et cetera? We buy the producers on that on that camp, but we also buy some of the of of the the physical metal. I would I should say not physical, but I should say in the futures market um, um, uh, on on. On agricultural, we own more of the commodities. Uh, we have some fertilizer businesses and some other companies that are related to those. Um, and uh, but but yeah, we've been adding to those and uh, oil. Okay, I'm sorry, but it, do no you, are you comfortable sharing which commodities you're you're adding to currently? No problem. If we have a basket of agricultural commodities, so we've got uh, corn, we've got beans, um, and uh, we got wheat. Uh, we had a, a very big pullback recently. We've been adding to uh, gas, uh, net gas here in the US. We've been uh, uh, buying EMP producers, um, some of the companies that score very well in our quant models. It's interesting because our quant models are, have a lot of value principles. And so we're seeing that a lot of the companies that are suggested by that model have been performing very well because of the, the shift in the markets. And so 
we expect that to become a, a even more relevant tool for us. But uh, uh, that's a that's a that's a plus, and we've been using that model to select some of the energy companies that we've been buying. Um, uh, one of them I'll mention is Matador. Um, but there are other companies we've been buying in the energy space, the big cap names uh, as well, Chevron, ExxonMobil, uh, Valero. Um, so, buy, so bought some refineries. Um, and, uh, but yeah, we've been, uh, we've been very, very, uh, um, I wouldn't say, uh, we've been very active, uh, actively buying in this pullback. And, and I think most of those commodities, I mean, today is, is easier to say, because at least before this interview, a lot of those companies are doing very well, but the last few days has been uh, brutal uh, for those investments. And so uh, I think it's a great opportunity to be, to be buying the dip here. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, there, I know people like me have been furious taking notes as you've been talking there. All right. Uh, so let's now turn towards the precious metals. Um, you've mentioned several times here that you think there's great opportunity there. Sounds like you said that you're shifting even more of your capital right now into the precious metal space. Um, so let's 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 dive deep into the opportunity you see there. But maybe first, can we just talk about how after hitting an all time record high in March, uh, gold and silver have basically kind of been on the escalator down since. Um, so what's what's causing the current weakness in the base? Sorry, in the uh, underlying precious metals themselves. Well, I think as this interview with Tavi will continue over in part two, which will be released on this channel tomorrow as soon as we're finished editing it, which has taken a while because it has a lot of charts. To be notified when it comes out, subscribe to this channel if you haven't already by clicking on the subscribe button below as well as the little bell icon right next to it. And be sure to hit the like button too while you're down there. Last. If the sobering market outlook Tavi has detailed in this interview has you feeling a little vulnerable about the prospects for your nest egg, then consider scheduling a free, no-strings-attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your wealth, keeping in mind the risks and trends that Tavi's mentioned here. Just go to Wealthion.com and we'll help set one up for you. Okay, I'll see you next in part two of our interview with Tavi Costa. Thank you.